Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvot Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the corner of Boulevard and Grove, across from the Art Museum. For more information, you can visit our website at tikvotisrael.com. There, you can support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and contact us with any questions or comments. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. Well, mitzvah, mitzvah on Wayne. Mitzvah on Eric. Well, let me tell you, folks. We hope you will consider this a treat, a message from not one, but two of us. And in fact, today we will be known as the Ha'achim Hatzadikim, the Righteous Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, as you notice, my throat is really bad, so I'm not going to sing. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Our sermon today is titled, Unpredictability and Predictability. Or in other words, from the back seat of the camel, are we there yet? So this week's Parsha, Deuteronomy 1-3, to the last book of the Torah. This all takes place on the west side of the Jordan before the Israelites cross into the land of Canaan, the promised land a land flowing with milk and honey. Deuteronomy, or Devarim, means words. So we can read Deuteronomy 1, verse 1. These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan. And verse 3, it says, In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. So in this Parsha, Moses is retelling the Hebrews all that Hashem had done for them from their rescue from Egypt until the present moment. The question that Moses proposes is the same one that, of course, one could ask during their whole journey. Did they get it? We will see. Moses retells their time together in the wilderness. I'm going to highlight just two and a half chapters of that journey, just a snapshot. Hashem delivered the Hebrews from Egypt. They had their unleavened bread with them, so at least for the short term, they were not going to starve. Hashem gives them the instructions about how they're to celebrate Passover. Hashem leads them away from the Philistine shore by a pillar of cloud by day, and a pillar of cloud, of fire, rather, by night. So at least in the short term, they weren't going to starve, and they weren't going to get lost. At GPS. <laughs> Already, without them even asking, Hashem had provided for them. The Egyptians started to pursue them at the banks of the Red Sea. Now, of course, they were concerned. You can tell by the way they kvetched that their minds, their minds were still in slavery. They were still in such a state of learned helplessness that they could not even ask assertively, Lord, you've done so much for us already. We know that somehow you'll see us through this too. Thank you in advance. But no, this is the way they quote-unquote asked for protection. So let's look at Exodus 14, 11, and 12. 
Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us here in the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would be far better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. Can you smell the passive aggression there? But Hashem was faithful to his promise, and he answered them in a way that I I personally believe was much more dramatic than even the Red Sea scene with Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments. The Torah states that the angel of the Lord, who was leading in front in the cloud, moved behind the camp of the Hebrews so that the Egyptians could not see them because of the darkness created by the pillar of smoke, while the pillar of fire continued to lead the Israelites across the open Red Sea. The Israelites crossed the Red Sea without incident, and Pharaoh and his army are destroyed. Again, Hashem showed his faithfulness. But not only that, without the Hebrews even asking for water, Hashem leads them directly to an oasis where there was plenty of water for them and their animals to drink. Now at this moment, this is when they begin their trek in the wilderness. Did they praise the Lord? Congregation, did they praise the Lord? No, no. Did all of God's faithfulness that they had witnessed deliver them from their mental slavery, their mental sense of victimhood and helplessness? Let's see. Of course they got hungry. Did the Hebrews say, Hashem, thank you for what you've done for us so far. It's been a lot. We appreciate you. We know that you're going to deliver us again from starvation. Thank you in advance. No, they didn't. Let's see what Exodus 16.3 says. The Israelites said, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us up here in the desert to starve the entire assembly to death. Uh, There's a passage in Numbers chapter 11 verse 4 that actually embellishes this begging. Um, It embellishes this memory by adding garlic and onions and melons to the aforementioned pot of meat. Smorgasbord. Smorgasbord. Had they learned yet that they were protected from Hashem's deliverance? But Hashem remained faithful again to his promises. Every morning it it rained manna from the heavens. The Torah says that the manna looked fluffy and white and tasted like wafers and sweet honey. Every evening, they were provided with meat in the form of quail. Now, interestingly enough, the quail that they were probably provided with was a species that has become what is now known as the Japanese quail that migrate actually over the Sinai to go east. Now, these quail are really interesting because it's all dark meat, but it's all dark meat kind of like duck is dark meat. It's really greasy and oily and succulent, and you put it on a spit and roast it on a fire, you won't get better. Making me hungry. (laughs) So the meat that they had 
you know, I mean, it wasn't just bland, leftover Thanksgiving dry turkey breast. No, this was flavorful and juicy, succulent, and there was a lot of it. Brothers and sisters, the Egyptians kept very, very good records. That's how we know so much about their civilization. The work crew foremen that built the great monuments in Egypt, built cities, built religious centers, etc., etc., they kept very, very good records about how they fed their workers and slaves. They kept very good records about what they gave them to eat. This we know. Archaeology confirms this. And it suggests that the Hebrews were completely seeing the past with rose-colored glasses, exaggerating their kind of posh Egyptian menu. Um, You know the old saying, the, the good old days weren't all that good. Now, brothers and sisters, this is what they had to eat. This is what the Egyptian records tell us. Smashed chickpeas, bread, and red onions... Yum, yum, yum. That's it. I like hummus as much as the next guy, but at least hummus is seasoned. It has salt in it. It has olive oil. It has garlic. It has cumin. list goes on and on. But the Hebrews, for breakfast, they woke up to a wonderful meal of bread, smashed chickpeas, and red onions. But no worries. Because after a hard afternoon, they could come in for a lunch to a spread of bread, smashed chickpeas, and red onions. But relax, everybody, because at least after a hard day under the searing Egyptian sun, for dinner, they could look forward to bread, smashed chickpeas, red onions. Bye. Give me manna that tastes as sweet as honey and nice, juicy, flavorful, fire-roasted, succulent quail any day. Did the Hebrews praise the Lord? Did the Hebrews praise the Lord? The Lord provided for them out of his love and his faithfulness to his promises to their forefathers. But wait, it doesn't stop there. Again, they wandered more and they got thirsty. But even now, after after watching Hashem deliver them bodily from the greatest military force in the world, providing for them direction, water, and all the bread and quail that they could eat at the drop of a hat, did they praise the Lord? Congregation, did they praise the Lord? I'm quoting here from Exodus 17.3. But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why would you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? This is the scene where Moses strikes the rock, and the fresh water pours out, and they all drank their full. This is just a snapshot, brothers and sisters. This is just two and a half chapters in Exodus that I've highlighted. Oh, I love this part coming up. <laughs> one could almost, one could, under, one could understandably have a bit of sympathy for them if you just understand that for 430 years, 
Generations and generations of the Hebrews had suffered under the whip of slavery. That's their normal, as sad as that is. They're used to being treated like subhumans, like pack animals, with zero dignity, with zero respect. And, and, and moreover, actually living under a system where the Egyptian imperial system and the Egyptian gods willed this state of being into existence. Um, the Egyptian imperial system was very hierarchical, okay? If you were Pharaoh, it was because the gods had ordained you to be Pharaoh. If you were a slave, it was because the gods had ordained it. They had ordained for you to be a slave. That was your lot in life. It was your purpose. But Hashem, in his faithfulness to the patriarchs, delivered them. He delivered them physically, but he also meant for them to feel delivered mentally, spiritually. In their minds, the Hebrews stayed victims. It was their predictability. It was what they had lived under and what they still expected. Old mindsets are very hard to break, are they not? But day after day after day after day, Hashem was showing them a new normal. A new normal consisting of complete deliverance, complete freedom under the grace and deliverance of a powerful and sovereign God. By his deliverance, Hashem sought to show the Hebrew people a new normal of victory under his providence. Every day, the Hebrews were faced with that reality. And even after 40 years of seeing God provide for them and provide for them and provide for them, after 40 years, most of them still didn't get it. They were still living in a mental state of victimization. And the new normal that was being established in front of their faces every single day went right over their heads. It was a shame. To continue with the history of what transpired to bring them to that point, Moses was preaching to a new generation, one that had either been very young or not even born yet when they left Egypt. So he explains what happened when they came out, how they were rescued from the hands of Pharaoh, as, as Wayne spoke about, followed by a year at Mount Sinai, reestablishing the covenant with Adonai, receiving the law, setting up the tabernacle, and to hopefully understand the holiness of Israel. This is being set apart from all other nations. But then a rebellion occurs with the golden calf, and those that chose not to stand with Moses and God were destroyed. But did they learn their lesson? We see all through Exodus and into the books of Leviticus and Numbers something about this people that God chose to continue his covenant. He swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were unpredictable. 
Did they always follow what Moses and what God said? No. This generation blew it. They showed lack of obedience. They kvetched. They rebelled. And then there was Moses standing in the gap, fell on his face so many times to intercede for the Israelites so God would not wipe them off the face of the earth for their disobedience. Mm. He deserved an award for their mission. You know, they just... <laughs> craziness. They were Meshuggah. So we can look at Numbers 13, 1 and 2 with the incident where the 12 spies were sent into the land. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From, their, from each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So they came back and gave their reports. Yes, the land is flowing with milk and honey. And they showed its fruit. It was wonderful. But when Caleb said they should go up and take the land, what did the other 10 say? Numbers 13, 31, and 32. We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they have explored. And in Numbers 14, they rebelled again. This was the last straw of the Exodus generation. So in Numbers 14, 28, and 35, God said to them, So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you 20 years old or more who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them into the enjoy the land you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in the wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness. And to the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken. And I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community, which is banded together against me. They will meet their end in the wilderness. Here they will die. Wow. Is that punishment enough? Fast forward to Deuteronomy 1.3. Now they know what happened. Now... They know they have a choice. Moses even shares with them because of frustration with their parents, he didn't trust. He struck the rock to bring forth the water instead of speaking to it. And he too was punished and would not be entering into the promised land in this lifetime. As they found out from their previous generations, unpredictability, they now see 
the predictability of God. No matter what choice they make, God is going to be the same, constant and faithful to the covenant that he gave their forefathers. But have these people learned their lesson? Did they? If we look at the Haftorah portion for today, Isaiah chapter 1, it mirrors the people, the pattern of this people. Hear me, you heavens. Listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its own manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. Isaiah further lays out the curse for their sin. He says, their sacrifices will be absolutely useless. Don't even waste your time sacrificing to the Lord. He didn't want any part of it. But, there's that but, if you repent, the Lord will be there for you. There's that predictability, Mishpachah. As we read further in Deuteronomy, before Joshua leads them into the land, dot, dot, dot. Spoiler alert. Moses talks about the blessing and the curse. And he knows that they will disobey. And what happens? They'll end up in exile. So it would seem they do not learn their lesson. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That is why we need Yeshua. Amen. The predictable God sent his predictable son so that when we will stumble, which we will, and fall, he will always be there to pick us up. Hallelujah. Amen. He gives us grace in this unpredictable world we live in today. Amen? Amen. Shabbat Shalom.